This is Crosscut Reports. I'm Mark Baumgarten, filling in for Sarah Bernard. Today, we're talking about art and fame and possible fraud with Crosscut Arts and Culture reporter Margot Von Singel. Margot has been reporting on the rise of Alden Mason, a Northwest painter who existed in relative obscurity until now, 10 years after his death. Mason's paintings are receiving a lot of attention, at art auctions in particular, where they have been setting records. Margot wanted to know why, and her reporting reveals how an art market some believe is overheated can change the legacy of an artist, and how that success, in this case, might be getting the attention of at least one alleged fraudster. Okay, so Margot, tell me, who is or who was Alden Mason? Alden Mason was a a Seattle painter who lived quite a long life. He was born in 1919 uh, and lived through 2013, so he died about 10 years ago. He grew up in the Skagit Valley, and that landscape will always stay really important to him. The tulip fields, the the, the birds around him, the the bugs around him, uh, that's something that he will carry with him through his career. Um, and he actually enrolled to study entomology at first at the University of Washington. Um, but then he you know, went to this life drawing class and had an epiphany of sorts and decided he wanted to be a painter. So he enrolls in the art department and uh, becomes a painter, and and not too long after um, will actually return to UW to teach. He's a UW art teacher for a long time, and he has a lot of local influence in that way as well. And he actually gets quite locally famous. He has local gallery shows. He shows at the Seattle Art Museum. Um, he shows a couple times in like a New York gallery, but he never becomes kind of as famous as some of the local art world celebrities. Um, and who I'm thinking of here, that's, you know, the kind of the, the group of, of, of painters known as the Northwest mystics, like Mark mm-hmm. Toby, Morris Graves. And they were more or less his, his contemporaries, but they were way more famous. But Mason kind of worked a little bit outside of that. He was more part of a group of people who actually taught at UW, uh, so were kind of working uh, artists in that way. And at the same time, also, his work was very different. Um, he was way, way more daring with with color. He was introspective, but also pretty exuberant. Um, he was really funny, uh, and his work actually is pretty humorous, from you know titles of his work to kind of um, funny, cartoonish figures showing up. I think multiple people actually described him as like a total flirt to me. And I think that's that's a, an accurate word to use for, for the way he approached painting. He would kind of flirt with different techniques and different, uh, you know, different styles of painting. So he was he was very different. So if you were a collector when he was um, at the height of his artistic powers, would you was his work sought after at the time? If you were a collector in Seattle, say. I think it was. Um, I think there was kind of there were kind of trends in his in his work, and in, in um, not all of it appealed to everyone. So the the abstract work that he made was very sought after at at the time. So that was during the seventies, uh, and that was the the Burpee Garden series paintings. Hmm. Those were very sought after, and he had two shows at a local gallery, and those that shows sold out. Those shows both sold out. Um, 
he didn't quite achieve the same success for later work, um, which was, I, I think, maybe a little harder to grok. I mean, it's it's figurative or it's um, not all of it is figurative, but it's it's they're big heads and some of it looks funny and aggressive and kind of odd. You know, it's less like, oh, there's like blooming abstract flowers uh, on the painting. So so you see a little bit of in and out on that. But but in general, yes, like he would be he would be one of the most well-known painters uh, during his lifetime. And, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, he had shows at the Seattle Art Museum. So if you said his name, people probably people people in the art scene definitely knew who you were talking about. And when did you first encounter Alden Mason's work? I don't quite have like one moment where I remember seeing one of his paintings and uh, I, I've seen his work around. He had a big show. He had a retrospective at the Bellevue Arts Museum in 2021. But I feel like the first time I really started paying attention to his body of work and, and to his whole career was actually pretty recently was um, just this January with a, a big show that was up at um, a downtown gallery called Woodside Brayseth Gallery. And the show was called Alden Mason and the Burpee Garden series. What was special about the show was that it really grouped all these Burpee Garden paintings together that hadn't been together for a really long time. And a lot of these paintings came from, from um, private collections. So these works hadn't been seen for a really long time. They had just been hanging in you know, nice houses around Seattle. So uh, that was a that was kind of when I started paying attention. And this Burpee Garden series is really these are the paintings from Alden Mason that have been commanding r- really uh, relatively high numbers at auction recently. Yeah. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what's so special about these Burpee Garden? paintings or, or burpees as they are known? Yeah, they're known as burpees. And uh, he named it after the burpee seed packets. And these are and these are the seed packets that have just photos of, yes. of flowers on them. And they're kind of like in in the wild kind of and they have a lot of colors and things. Yes, right? exactly. And his paintings are like that, too. They're kind of, you know, almost flowery. And, and he talked about it being kind of a, a landscape. And it very much harkens back to his time uh, growing up in the Skagit Valley. The way that he made it was actually very special. He kind of came up with his own paint mix, I would say. So he mixed oil paint and then he diluted it with uh, a bunch of chemicals like varnish, linseed oil, turpentine, stand oil. And he did that to like to thin it out so that he could um, almost use the oil paint like watercolor paint Um but watercolor dries a lot quicker, and so you can't smear it. You can't smudge it out. And what the oil paint lets you do is it dries a lot slower, which allowed him to um, use sponges and brushes and even just pieces of cloth to really um, smudge it and, and, and create these, like, long streaks. And he, he did that, actually. He did that on the floor. So he put the painting on the floor and then poured the paint over and then started kind of, you know, smudging it and creating these like pebbles and and um, kind of color fields that kind of bubbled um, th- because of the chemicals. So it's a really interesting effect. One of the remarkable things about that is that um, because he was he was actually hunched over um, his paintings, he came really close, but all the chemicals um, made him really sick. So he got terrible headaches, uh, had trouble breathing. It really, you know, um, got to the point where his doctor had to tell him, like, you have to stop. Like, you can't mm. do this anymore. Um, which was, you know, which is, I think, uh, a turning point in his career. Because imagine, like, you know, you're, work- you're trying to make it as a painter, which is hard enough. You finally have your hit. And then 
it's literally killing you and you have to stop and you can't do it anymore. He only made them for a kind of short amount of time. There's only a few of them. And then he had to stop. And people love these paintings. We're seeing prices at auction that are, that, are, that are much higher than they were before. Can you talk a little bit about what we've been seeing in the art market when it comes to um, Alden Mason and in particular the Burpees? Yeah, we're definitely seeing kind of a, an, an interesting run on these paintings in a way. You know, Burpee paintings or paintings are sold not often because there's not a lot of them on the market. But um, usually we don't get information about them because they're, they're private sales from, you know, a gallerist who gets one from a collector. Maybe that collector is, you know, it has died and that goes to another collector and we'll never hear about it. And so auction records are public. And so that's why um, it's so remarkable. Um and what we see in, in the trend of auction um, auction uh, data is that in the last around six months, we're seeing a really sharp increase. And what kind of numbers are you seeing? So we're seeing numbers that are twice as much as, as um, what paintings of his would have gone for about a year ago, maybe maybe more even. So so one the first one happened this summer at a Minneapolis auction house. The painting Winter Zinger, which is a Burpee Garden uh, series painting, went for $162,000. And pretty shortly after, in September, we're seeing another record via the Seattle Auction House, MBA. Uh, and that painting called Orange Goofer went for $150,000. So that's also twice as much as you would have seen about a year ago. And the last one is, I guess, the most splashy one. Uh, that was a painting that's not part of the Burpee Garden uh, series quite. It's just it's made the year after um, with acrylic paints because he couldn't use those oil paints anymore. And it's still very much in that Burpee style. You know, it's kind of smudged. It's really abstract. Um, and that one went up for sale um, with the collection of Paul Allen. So the, the you know, the late billionaire Microsoft co-founder, um, who was selling, or his estate was selling, um, his art collection well, at Christie's. is the Alden Mason. This is a sweet encounter. Several bids on my book. I can begin with 10,000, 11,000, 12,000 is already here. Absentee bids on my book at 12,000. And it ended up selling for uh, $189,000, which is an absolute record for uh, an Alden Mason painting. Wow. And those names... <laughs> the names of the paintings are so good. <laughs> yeah, he you can really tell from those um from those titles that he was kind of a, a you know that he was kind of a goofer himself, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> so what what's behind this price increase? What can you discern is driving um this interest in these higher dollar amounts? There, there's a few things happening. I think um there's a certain element of kind of randomness and luck to it. You know, at some point, there were a couple paintings that came to market around the same time. But I think the most straightforward explanation is that, um, you know, there's a limited supply of these burpees. Uh, Mason made those. Again, he made those for about five years. He's dead. He's not making them anymore. Collectors are not parting with it um, at, at, at high rates. So there's just whenever there comes one on the market, there's one on the market. People want to snap them up. I think specifically for the uh, Paul Allen sale, uh, there's there's something extra happening. There's you know the fact that it comes from the collection of Paul Allen adds this kind of nice patina to it and adds a little bit of uh, value to it. That's usually how that works with with big collections like that. So the auction itself 
gives yeah. value to the painting. Yeah, the fact that it that mm. it comes from the that Paul Allen himself, who collected, you know, Van Gogh and Monet and Gauguin, all these, you know, major, major figures in Western art history, had also had an Alden Mason, like that cranks up the price. That's how the art market works. Wow. Um, mm. And as, you know, one dealer, one art dealer told me, it's also kind of, you know, at a dinner party, it's pretty neat to be able to say, oh, yeah, that came from the Paul Allen sale. Well, and this isn't happening in a vacuum. I mean, as uh, I think that we've talked about, the art market is is really maybe overheated right now. I mean, can you talk a little bit about sort of what you're seeing in general, you know, out there? Yeah, the the question of whether the art market is overheated has been um, has been discussed at length for for years. Um, and there's something to it. I mean, um, you know, in 2021, just some numbers here. In 2021, global sales of art and antiques dealers, so galleries and auction houses, reached a total of $65.1 billion. And the thing that I want to call out there is that that's more than like before the pandemic. So it's going up. It's not quite at the level it was in 2014, which was like the absolute peak, but it's pretty close. Um, and what we're seeing is just record after record. It kind of doesn't stop. Paul Allen, The Paul Allen sale is a really good example because that was the most expensive um, single owner auction ever. 1.6 billion was the total. And that's just unseen. And one additional note to that is, and I talked to this professor for another story years ago, and and what he said will always stick with me. He was like, as long as, you know, uh, wealth inequality is increasing, you'll see those records. And that's kind of the kind of the harsh truth of that, that, Mm. you know, as long as rich people are getting richer, you'll see this continue. It's an indicator. Yeah. So, One of the outcomes of this newfound attention was that somebody allegedly created a fake. Can you can you tell me about about that? Yeah, I mean, as a reporter, this is just I I, I guess it's terrible to say, but I kind of feel so lucky because there's so there's such a big mystery element to it. And I'm a big lover of mystery novels. So um, I'll set the scene here uh, with uh, Greg Cusera, who's a Seattle art dealer who retired recently, but is still very much involved with, you know, the day to day operations, checks emails all the time. And so he's in his uh, French castle where he retired. And he gets a text message from a fellow art dealer who's like, have you seen this painting? Uh, you should check that out. And so he takes his laptop, looks at it, and he's like, no way this is a real painting by, uh, by Alden Mason. What, what were these gallerists seeing in this painting that made them think that it was a fake? Yeah, they told me there were a ton of uh, red flags that immediately popped up. Um, anything from kind of the composition feeling very tight and not as kind of, you know, breathing as, as Mason usually would, would paint his, his paintings. The texture is off. It doesn't look primed. The uh, stretcher bars, the staples. So just all over, you know, visually, they're immediately immediately noticing things that don't feel right. Um, they also notice that the text is pretty, the text that accompanies the, the listing is pretty murky about uh, where it came from, which is always um, a red flag as well. And then lastly, the title is actually the title of another work that Alden Mason made in 1974. Okay, so what did they do about it? So a third gallerist who also knows Alden Mason's work very well actually contacted the FBI. Uh, they have an art crimes unit. And so she sent the listing and, and sent them, you know, I think this is a fake and you should look into this. 
I also contacted the FBI and they um, could neither confirm nor deny the existence of, of any investigation. And so did this this alleged Alden Mason uh, painting, did it did it ever sell? I mean, what, what what's the fate of this work? Yeah, so it's listed on liveauctioneers.com as sold. Um, and when I asked ABC Gallery about it and I asked who sold, who bought it, um, she, you know, the person I was corresponding with um, told me that she couldn't disclose that information. Um, but then at the same time, one of the gallerists, who is one of the sources for my article, uh, who I've spoken to, also asked her the same question. And she actually um, responded to him just the other day. And she said, um, that painting was not sold, nor will it be sold. I decided to keep it as part of my collection. It is very beautiful. I'm sure it is. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think this story tells us about the art market right now? So I think what it shows is that as the art market continues to, um, you know, just grow and grow, and we'll see record after record, that people are looking for, if not an investment, then maybe undervalued painters. So they're looking for, you know, all a lot of the masterpieces are already sold. They're in museums. There's also kind of a limited supply there as well. And so you'll see people looking for the the painters that have maybe not gotten their due during their lifetime. And I think that is maybe a little bit what's happening with Alden Mason. So let's bring this back to the artist himself. And um, he, of course, as you noted, has been deceased for a decade now. But you spoke to a lot of people who knew Alden Mason fairly well. What did they say he would make of all of this? I think the consensus is that he'd be pretty thrilled with the attention that he's getting. He never made a secret out of the fact that he wanted commercial success and that he wanted to be known. So, you know, seeing his painting as part of the Paul Allen sale probably would have, um, you know, he probably would have liked that. But then at the same time, I talked to Fen Huang, um, who has been his gallerist for a long time and is now um the gallerist for his estate, represents his estate. She felt ambivalent, and I think her point was that he probably would have felt ambivalence too. He probably would have felt some type of way about, you know, other people making money off his burpee paintings. He, he, mm. you know, his foundation is not getting any money off of this. Um, and if he were alive, he would not be seeing any money uh, from this. You know, so she felt that ambivalence as I was talking to her. But then I think what she landed on when we talked was that he actually would... Um, would be really happy and he would probably have gone back to that, you know, big gallery show to be with those paintings and see them. Um, and she, she told me that, you know, he'd be stoked to have a broadening influence um, and, and he'd be stoked to see that what he spent his life doing was worthy of attention. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Margot Von Single and produced by Seth Halloran. The story editor and executive producer of this podcast is me, Mark Baumgarten. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you would like to support the work that we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the video documentaries we produce every week, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS9. 
For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit CrossCut.com. CrossCut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Mark Baumgarten. We'll be back next week with another episode.